Shalom! Welcome to the Christchurch Jerusalem Bible Study, where we wrestle with God's Word. For more information on the church, to listen to sermons, to contact us, or to make a gift, visit ChristChurchJerusalem.org. So welcome to Christchurch Jerusalem, to our evening Bible study, uh, Wednesday night. And we are in Galatians chapter 2 with the Clash of the Apostles. Peter and Paul, both um, part of the apostolic movement, full of the spirit, now clash over an issue of halakha, and we wrestle with that. So uh, we hope that you'll enjoy our discussion and see how we can uh, make this relevant to our community today. But we acknowledge that the Messiah is present, his spirit is here, and we should indeed uh, honor that by praying. And uh, Vida, you would pray us in. Abba Father, we do come before you in the name of your beautiful Son, Lord Jesus Christ. And as we come before you, Father, we ask you to please, Lord, anoint Aaron as he speaks and teaches us your word, as he brings it to us. Open our hearts so that we may receive your word, Lord, and let it be on good soil, that it may produce a fruit to bring you glory and praise. And Father, we just ask for your presence to guide us all, to lead us and to glorify your name. In Jesus' name we are. Amen. Amen. All right. So in summary from last week's discussion where we managed to get through verses 11 and to 14 of chapter 2, Paul's opposition to Peter, this is a public uh, uh, display that um, Paul is reflecting to the Galatians. Paul's opposition to Peter initially concerns itself with Peter's refusal to eat with the Gentile members of the believing community. The issue is part of a larger theological concern that is worked out in practical behavior. Jewish people in the Second Temple period did not typically dine with Gentiles of any description because of ritual purity concerns over plates, preparation of the food and the dishes. The belief was that things could pass on impurity to other people. Gentiles themselves being perpetually in an impure state. Peter has already crossed the Rubicon by eating with Gentiles in Acts chapter 10. Do not call unclean what God has made clean. Following the conversion of the centurion Cornelius, Peter is brought to Jerusalem where he is asked not about the Holy Spirit falling on Gentiles, nor details of angelic visitations, but you went into the house of uncircumcised men and ate with them. Acts 11 verse 3. This account now in Galatians 2 of Peter, whom Paul likes to call Cephas, his Aramaic name, meaning stone or rock, of Peter coming to Antioch, is something that has occurred in the past. We are not told when Peter journeyed to Antioch, only that Paul is using the experience as a witness to his argument for the Galatian community. Presumably, when Peter or Cephas first arrived at Antioch, perhaps to see how Barnabas and Saul were managing a Jewish and Gentile community, he had table fellowship with Gentile believers. Peter has previously been in agreement with welcoming Gentiles into the believing community. Now, when certain Jewish believers arrive from Jerusalem, Peter acts in a hypocritical fashion and submits to peer pressure and affirmation. We do not know why Peter seems beholden to these arrivals from Jerusalem, 
Peter was once the leader of the community in Jerusalem. Perhaps he knows them personally. We also do not know the reasons why Peter is no longer the leader, as this is not explained in Acts. Whatever the reason, it is powerful enough to override Peter's experiences with heavenly visions in Jaffa, outpourings of the Spirit in Jerusalem and Caesarea, and a visit to Jerusalem in Acts 11. Peter is now acting against what he knows to be right. While it is always easy to criticize Peter, we should admit that we ourselves are probably all guilty of doing something we know to be wrong. These men who arrive in Antioch seem to be claiming authority in the name of James, who has himself now become the shepherd in Jerusalem. Peter's actions have a snowball effect, and following his lead, many other Jewish believers now break table fellowship with the Gentiles, including Barnabas, whom we have identified as a prophet of the early church. Again, there's a good lesson for us. Having prophetic gifts, witnessing miracles and visions, and having in the indwelling of the Holy Spirit are not safeguards for consistent, pure, sinless living or right doctrine. Paul witnesses this hypocrisy in public, is brave enough to stand up to peer pressure, and proceeds to counter the hypocrisy that is also in public. It's a public issue. This also demonstrates to us the heavy responsibility that is on leadership, both in maintaining proper biblical behavior and public defense of the faith despite peer pressure. Paul sees the issues as connected to the truth of the gospel. And this led us into a discussion on that question. What is the truth of the gospel? Is it simply believing that Jesus is the Messiah? For even the Pharisees, the party of the circumcision within the early Jesus movement, believed that the truth of the gospel includes, but is not limited to, the new creation that is established through the power of the resurrection with the wall of separation between Jews and Gentiles having been removed in the Messiah. Part of the accusation by Paul to Peter is that in forcing social separation within the community, Peter is forcing Jewish customs onto Gentiles. Now, even modern Orthodox Judaism does not force Gentiles to follow Jewish customs. What begins as a food and fellowship issue can quickly lead to other more stringent and permanent Jewish customs, such as circumcision. We should keep Galatians within its historical context of the late Second Temple period, in that the number of Gentiles have been attracted to the monotheistic faith of Israel all over the ancient world. They are known as God-fearers. They are attested to in archaeology and in biblical literature. It was a consistent inner Jewish debate as to how much of the Torah actually applied to the Gentile world. The Messianic movement had to also wrestle with this issue as it expanded its influence from Jerusalem to the pagan world. And it is with this issue that we continue to wrestle in the clash of the apostles in Galatians 2. Sharon, just one quick question on your notes. Jews and Pharisees did not believe Jesus was the Messiah. The, Pharise- the Jewish Pharisees in the Jesus movement did. So how do we know there were Pharisees in the Jesus movement? A, Acts 15 says they were, the party of the Pharisee. Paul is a Pharisee. He describes himself as a Pharisee, not I was a Pharisee. 
And Nicodemus was a Pharisee or is a Pharisee even after he becomes a believer. So Pharisees do, did, when they, when they joined the Jesus movement, believed in Jesus as the Messiah. But that is not the truth of the gospel. Because if that was the, only the truth of the gospel, then uh, that would, would uh, not make sense in relation to the issue at hand. Because everyone believes Jesus is the Messiah. There was something else that Paul was, was referring to. And uh, he's going to refer it to, I think, here. All right, so I'm going to read the next couple of verses. We read them last week. We'll read them again. Galatians chapter 2 from verse 15. I'm reading an ESV. We ourselves are Jews by birth and not Gentile sinners. Yet we know that a person is not justified by works of the law, but through faith in the Messiah Jesus. So we also have believed in Jesus the Messiah in order to be justified by faith in the Messiah and not by works of the law. Because by works of the law, no one will be justified. But if in our endeavor to be justified in the Messiah, we too were found to be sinners, is the Messiah then a servant of sin? Certainly not. For if I rebuild what I have torn down, I prove myself to be a transgressor. For through the law I died to the law, so that I might live to God. I have been crucified with the Messiah. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I live, the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. I do not nullify the grace of God, for if righteousness were through the law, then Christ died for no purpose. Some pretty good stuff. Any initial thoughts, questions on an initial surface reading? I know we already dealt with it last week, but just again, as is our tradition, we always deal with the Peshat, the literal interpretation, and then we'll go deeper. What jumps out? Anything jump out? I love verse 20. I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live, yet not I, but Christ lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself to me. That is just such a profound, deep, deep, deep truth. I get it, but I can't, I don't really get it. <laughs> no, it does seem a little esoteric, doesn't it, on a surface reading? I don't live, but, but Christ lives in me. Well, who are you then? <laughs> but it's, it's, yes, it's the truth, but at the same time, we're trying to figure out what do you mean. Mm-hmm. Well, now we're filled by the Spirit, eh? Yeah, it's true, we do. Instead of living our own life for our own selfish purposes or, you know, our own ends, then we get to live for Christ, right? Sure. King David was full of the Spirit, and what happened to him? Did the Spirit come and go back then, or did it sort of Remember, what what does David say in his psalm? Take not your? Yeah, and what what had he done? Adultery, all sorts of things. Yeah, all sorts of things, yeah. Got to go around, yeah, just because we have the spirit, that's a great thing. But does not mean you can't be on your need. Do not need to be on your guard. So it's interesting. Interesting indeed. Well, verse fifteen um, the, itself is interesting because it says, "We ourselves are Jews by birth and not Gentile sinners, but everyone is a sinner." Yeah. Yeah, I know. So, what do you think he means by that? I mean, um, I mean, that's that's where that's where we'll start, and we and we may as well start. So we got the clash of these two apostles. Both um, have had um, vision experiences. They've both heard voices from heaven. They've both been taught by the Messiah. 
They have the Holy Spirit and seen all kinds of things, and now they're clashing over doctrinal issues, uh, which is a good, uh, should be a very sobering lesson for us. Okay. Mm. All right. What does it mean when, when so you've got two Jewish guys and they're discussing an inner Jewish debate? Remember, this is an inner Jewish debate, right? Mm. Now, we're Jews, okay? We were Jews by birth. They haven't become non-Jews, okay? Believing in the Messiah doesn't make them non-Jews. They're Jews. And he has this discussion, well, we're not Gentile sinners. What do you think he means by that, guys? Yeah, the issue, like even in 14, you know, continuing on, like, why are you trying to make these Gentiles follow the Jewish traditions? This is in a, um, <laughs> my Bible somewhere else. We're in the middle of craziness here. New Living Translations. So it's interesting because, wow, like, you, you know, are you trying to, and of course, the whole gospel is about this, right? I mean, the whole book is about this that you know are you trying to get people to follow laws to be acceptable to god instead of by faith by the spirit but didn't the jewish people also from a context have their sin lord jesus took away our sin but the the jewish people at that time were doing sacrifice and because they were doing sacrifice their sin was was uh, i can't think of the right word to say it was kind of for the year put aside yeah so they, before God, they were under God's ordinances more clean and than the Gentiles who actually just are the goyim, are, are the, the dogs. You know, you think of the Syrophoenician woman who came to Lord Jesus and, and, and Lord Jesus said to her, having come back to the lost tribe of the house of Israel. Yeah. They are completely foreign idolaters. They have no concept of God per se. Per se, that's right. And even though having said that, um, remember, this, this is just a figure of speech. Even Yeshua called you know, uh, uh, Gentiles, I, I, what, what do I cast to dogs? It doesn't mean he had a negative feeling about no. Gentiles, and neither no. does Paul. This is a figure of speech because let's also remember in Jewish tradition, when Jonah goes to Nineveh, who are the Ninevites? Are they Jews? No. No, the Gentiles. And they're asked to repent. And are they asked to sacrifice? No. No, they just repent. They repent without sacrifice, without the shedding of blood. And that book is still read today on Yom Kippur, and, uh, which is an interesting thought. The book of Job, which is a very interesting piece of literature. Job is not Jewish. He, lives, he doesn't even live in the land of Israel. He lives in a place called Uz, wherever that is. And uh, he's making sacrifices for his children. In fact, not even for the sins that they've done, but for the sins of the heart. And somehow he knows God. And you scratch your head and you go, what is going on? Um, so there was this understanding that even in the Gentile world, people could be righteous and they could have that God could love them. But as Vida says, because they didn't have the Torah, there was something that, that sort of let let sin sort of remain in the, in, the, in the camp, so to speak. And so and they were also effused with much idolatry and paganism and uh, in, infected by, by demons. And so it was a figure of speech. But it appears in our text not as something that we should start going, oh, my gosh, look at the way Paul was talking about Gentiles. This is terrible. We should rip this book out of our Bible and throw it away. Put it in its context. Verse 15 if I, if I read from um, Tree of Life version, 
It says, we are Jews by birth and not sinners from among the Gentiles. I see it as um, a Jewish worldview in that um, this uh, Paul speaking to Peter and um, is telling Peter in this way that this is how we view the world. Um, we view the world like Jews. We are Jews by birth because we, we believe we are the ones that um, God has called. And the rest of the people, they don't follow God, so they're sinners. I think he's just using that on, the, on this platonic level, um, not um, really casting um, the Jews as very righteous. Because um, in other places, I mean, if the Jews were righteous, they would not say um, repent. Yeah. So I think it was just on that um, worldview that they had, that we are Jews and every other person is Gentiles. And the Gentiles don't know God um, naturally, and the Jews uh, were called by God. Correct, yeah. Aaron, may I just read a comment from the ESD study Bible on this yeah. verse? That uh, Gentile sinners, that is Gentiles who do not even attempt to follow the Old Testament laws and therefore clearly do not live up to them. Right. I mean, that would be a normal, probably, reflection from a, from a Gentile commentator. Um, and that's fair enough. But I think it's, uh, it's just a little bit more, not simple than that, but, it, but simply that the relationship between Jews and Gentiles is God is the king of the universe and God wants to reach Gentiles because we already have Psalms that talk about Gentiles to praise the Lord. Hallelujah, Adonai, Kola Goyim. And Gentiles could repent, as we have seen in the book of Jonah. And Gentiles could be righteous, as we could see from Noah and Job. Okay? Uh, but because they don't have the law, which is what this guy is saying right now, they don't have the Torah, they don't have this uh, understanding that God has a certain standard per se, then they're left in a very dark place. And, uh, and so they flocked to idolatry, they flocked to, to sexual immorality and, some very, and became very impure and, and therefore quite offensive. But that's not to say that Jews didn't do the same because Jewish sacred history is replete with Israel not living up to the Torah. But um, again, he's just, it's the, the issue at the stake uh, in Galatians is how is the boundary now between Jews and Gentiles post-resurrection? What has the resurrection of the Messiah done to this community? And as Paul and Peter have done previously prior to this event, they have fellowship, had had table fellowship with Gentiles. They had sat with them, talked with them, talked with them, prayed with them, eaten with them, worshipped with them, and, and were doing really well. But then something had happened and created this separation and, and Paul had gotten angry. And in his clash, he just uh, he says, come on, we're Jews, yes, but, and we're not Gentiles, I get it. And so we, I understand the difference. He's, he's, he's acknowledging that there's a difference. And, uh, but verse 16 puts in this uh, phrase, yet we know that a person, could be anybody, Jew or Gentile, is not justified by works of the law, whatever that means, but through the faith in Jesus Christ, in Jesus the Messiah. And so we also have believed in the Messiah. And so Jewish people would believe in a Messiah. Of course they would, because that's where Messiah comes from. So the most natural people to believe in a Messiah would obviously be Jewish people in order to be justified by faith, emunah. 
in the Messiah and not by works of the law. So we'll have to understand that. But uh, Arie is here. I think you hear Arie. Uh, last week, we wanted to know what the Greek word was for law and what does it actually mean when we say the word nomos. Uh, so, Arya, you got a few comments about that? Well, Greek nomos, of course, is very equivalent to our English law. We have the idea of laws that are legislated and made through one source or another. In England, there's a whole system of unwritten laws, written laws. In America, we have... Uh, state laws, local laws, we understand that. The nomos is very equivalent to that. It basically goes back in all Western civilization to a man in Athens by the name of Solon. About 600 BC, came up with a revolutionary idea that laws should be universal for everybody and not just the whims and decrees of the king. And uh, from him, it's, it, it led to the whole age of enlightenment in Athens. But in fact, it was at, he was also copied by the Romans. So these Romans who are famous for their law, and in fact, the nomos here typically would be considered Roman law because we're talking about Roman uh, empire and Roman uh, hegemony, uh, actually came from Greece. Now, what happened in about 250 BC was this Greek word nomos ran up against the uh, Hebrew Bible when the uh, scribes in Alexandria got, uh, were busy trying to translate because some of their congregationalists were forgetting their Hebrew and needed to get it into Greek. And they chose this word nomos to translate the Hebrew word Torah. And it became virtually a one-to-one -one translation throughout the Old Testament there are about 500 usages of the word nomos in the Old Testament, and out of those 500, at least 400 of them are translating the word Torah. So we can easily see that flowing through, especially in the Gospels. But in Paul, we have a very interesting usage of this word. Sometimes he's referencing the Torah, and sometimes he's not. So he creates a real challenge as to what exactly does Paul mean here by the word use of this word nomos? It's one of the most interesting things. In fact, while we were just reading here, my little contribution to the what I see for the first time is, what does he mean by, I by the law died to the law? My goodness, Paul, which law? Yeah. Which law <laughs> and how? What, is, what does that particular law say? Anyway, uh, just to complete the, the thought, in the New Testament, this word nomos is many, many times a one-to-one -one translation of Torah. It's easy to see throughout the Gospels especially. But it also is used to stand for the entire scriptures, the entire Hebrew scriptures. And Jesus uses it in this way as well. He says in uh, John, and he's quoting at one point, he says, doesn't it say in your law that you're all gods? And in fact, he's quoting from the book of Psalms. So it loosely can mean all of scripture, uh, it also means the Pentateuch, but then it also means a list of rules in the Pentateuch, which, of course, were famously counted as being uh, 613, yep. which uh, we have in Hebrew. If you haven't heard it, it's Tav Yag Mitzvot, Tav Resh Yud Gimel, Tav being 400, Resh being 200, and Yud 10, Gimel 3, 613 laws. So it's also a list of rules, and that is probably what the translator had in mind in the 300, 200 and something BC. Why did he choose that word nomos? 
because Torah was predominantly becoming to be seen as a list of rules, God's rules that had to be kept in order to please God and keep from being exiled off the land again. This was the very strong lesson that the Jewish people came back from Babylon with. Hmm. Wow, that's really good, Arie. Wow, because it reminds me, like, so the cross-reference in Acts, you know, 15, right? That would be a similar nomos probably there in Acts 15. So, you know, 15, 5, then some of the believers who had belonged to the party, this is back in the Council of Jerusalem, right? That some of the believers who belonged to the party of the Pharisees stood up and said, the Gentiles must be circumcised and required to obey the law of Moses. So that would have been, you know, specifically the law. Yes, of Moses, that's right? the list of rules. That right. The list of rules. So isn't that the issue at stake here in Galatians then, Eric? Yes, and, and I personally think that Paul, at least part of the time in Galatians, is referencing the list of rules here. He's, it's, an, it's a pre-echo, I would say, of Ephesians 2 and Colossians 2, in which clearly he's referring to the law of commandments in decrees in Ephesians, and he's talking about it as the handwritten decrees in the book of Colossians. In my view, these are all the same thing in, in Paul's view, and they were all done away with through the death, our death in Christ, which he's referencing here, of course, in verse 19, which uh, Vita has pointed out with blessing, as I'm sure many of us have found blessing in. So, yeah, to your comment last week that you're saying that they are nailed to the cross, like the laws are nailed to the cross. As, as a list, as a list, yes, yeah, as, as a, a list. list of rules, as a list of rules. However, we need to bear in mind, and this is extensively used by Jesus in his teaching, that he came to fulfill the law and the prophets. He is using this in the overall prophetic sense of Scripture as pointing to himself as the Messiah. Mm -hmm. and so what does it mean he fulfilled it? Like, what does that really well, mean? Well, all of if throughout the Old Testament, we have prophecies that weren't immediately clear, but many of them became clear. They were clear to many uh, sages before the Messiah came, but, but they became even clearer, some of them, after uh, Jesus uh, w was born, died, and resurrected. Yeah, like for an example, like if he's the ultimate Lamb of God, if he's the desired Messiah, then we don't have to keep crucify like, you know, crucifying lambs. <laughs> I mean, not crucifying lambs, but, you know, like sacrificing lambs, right, as Jewish people, right? There's going to be another temple. It's more complicated than that, Sharon, because when you're in diaspora, you're not crucifying lambs or making any sacrifice. Neither does Paul make any reference to sacrifice in the book of Acts when he's discussing. No, but I, no, I'm not. No, I'm not trying to be difficult. I'm just, I'm just asking, and so I'm just seeing like so that's some of the laws. I'm never trying that's, to be difficult. That's right? an aspect of the written law, but there's the intention of the law and the overall point of the law and the fulfillment there of the law like to forgive uh, our sins right like we sacrifice like pigeons or, or i should say jews sacrifice different animals right to, to cover their sins now if jesus uh, is only for only for unintentional sin okay when you go through the sacrifices in leviticus they all say for unintentional sin remember the, the people of Nineveh repent without a sacrifice. They did Teshuvah. Yet at they... the same time, you have Job, who's a Gentile, sacrificing. And you go, so hang on, what is going on? I'm now so confused, and we probably should be. But uh, it, it does teach us, let's be a little careful when saying, well, this means this, and we've got a definite. And, uh, no, 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 we're just trying to figure it out. out. Yeah, so Christ is the ultimate sacrifice for our sins. He is Absolutely, Christ is the ultimate Correct. sacrifice. 
I, I believe what Sharon is trying to understand is um, if Christ is the ultimate sacrifice, then no sacrifice is needed um, henceforth, which is what is taught in the in normal Christian theology. Um, but that is not the reality um, because Christ's coming did not come to stop the sacrifices. In fact, the one that had to come and stop the sacrifice is the Antichrist. If we read in the book of Revelation, it's the Antichrist that stops the sacrifice. Okay, whoa, whoa, and, whoa, whoa. Um, At your first point, Samson, where is the point? Where do, where do you get it that he, he, he's not going to stop the sacrifice? Your first point, where do you get that in Scripture? It did not come to stop the sacrifice because when you go into the book of Revelation, you will find out that um, uh, the one that has come to stop the sacrifice from the book of Daniel, which um, Yeshua was referencing, um, the abomination that causes desolation, was actually um, part of stopping of the sacrifice. When Yeshua was there and he was born, the sacrifice was, you know, um, performed on his behalf during his, um, his um, Brit Milah. On the eighth day, when he was taken to the temple, um, sacrifices were made for him. Um, Yeshua continued to encourage the people to go to the temple to show themselves to the priest. And yeah, when he healed the leper, and the leper going to show himself to the priest will also perform sacrifice. Yeah, but that was before he died and paid the price. That was before he died, absolutely. So now since uh, he's been paid the price, now... Protestant Christianity and a lot of it's also uh, Catholic Christianity too. So, the a lot of Christianity only looks at the death of Jesus in a in a um, legal transactional way. Well, no, it's not. It's, I'm it's not even way more than that. I'm trying to understand it's, how it it's would not apply. just. I'm a sinner. I'm absolutely worthless. And but Jesus paid for my sins in a transaction. So now we're all good. It's way more than that. It's well, yeah, life. it's deeper. It's, it's oh, yeah, yeah, relationship. Yeah. It's the expansion of family. Not only do I just have a, a family of my immediate family, you are now my family. It's an incredible expansion. Uh, there's a guy in, in England. He's actually now the leader of CMJ UK. He wrote a book called Enlargement Theology, not Replacement Theology, Enlargement Theology. He said the resurrection of the Messiah enlarged everything it made it bigger and better just you know more encompassing and it was the the, the telos it was the goal of the Torah, the end result that we were actually looking for that the entire world would come to faith in god and the messiah uh, and it was absolutely beautiful and and i'm not saying that that there isn't a transaction there is but if that's the only way you look at the at christianity you are so missing so missing stuff. No, like I don't believe in replacement theology at all. I, I don't think I do. I mean, I don't know how, like if you define it the same way, but the thing is, I, I think it's more fulfillment <laughs> theology or like supersessionism or, you know, I don't know what the modern terms are with these modern ideas that people are putting out there. Like in, so in Protestant circles, right? They're writing articles on this, like a friend of mine just, I'm in another group that's doing this. So you know, is replacement theology the same as fulfillment theology? Like, yeah. it's just like, no, like, we're not trying to put any ologies on it. It's just understanding. <laughs> like, I don't want to give Calvin credit, remember? Who cares about that guy? Like, it's not ology. Okay, it's all ology. Okay, Sharon, <laughs> I, I, you, you've had a good right, time. Sharon. I'm for Yvonne. She put her hand up very politely there. Go, Yvonne. Um, you know, it's interesting. You know, we have the first Adam, 
and he 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 unfortunately uh you know lost uh he was a king he was a priest he had the dominion it was the first temple he had the presence of of hashem and he 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 unfortunately uh, got kicked out there's a rectification in a second adam and that's yeshua he comes to rectify the son of God. He comes to rectify what the first Adam was not able to accomplish. But he says, if you love me, you keep my, you will keep my word uh, and my father, my commandments and my father uh, and my father, we will love him and we will come and make our home with him. Whoever does not love me will not keep my words, my commandments. The Bible says that it's, but Abraham, he was justified. We're not justified by keeping the law. We're justified right. by faith. Abraham was righteous before, before the law. But because he obeyed, then he became a tzaddik. He became uh, righteous. We're, we're not saved by the law, but we, are, we, we follow the, the Torah, the instructions. Of course, there are some for Gentiles, there's some for Jews, uh, but we do this because we love him and we want to want to do what he he wants us to do. So it's it's a rectification of the first Adam, the first son of God. Yeshua came as a rectification as a second son of God to rectify what wasn't done in the first. We have a lot of rectifications. I love that. You know, the, we have the 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 tabernacle, the beginning in in, in Jerusalem, the, the first heavens and earth, and and that's a rectification of the book of Revelation. There's a new heavens and earth. We've got Lamech, you know, cursing 70 times seven. We've got Yeshua saying, well, if you love and you forgive 70 times seven, there's so many rectifications. And, and I, I see so much of that. It's just a beautiful narrative from the very beginning to the end. It's not because he, you know, I, I know I know this. You right, know, so, you're, so I think what you're saying, Yvonne, is that we're talking positionally versus how we live it out, right? So positionally before okay. God, how are we justified before God? Yes, and we that's what Galatians is dealing with and what Paul's dealing with. What, here. I, what I can say for all our listeners out there in podcast land, as soon as you uh, mention the word law, uh, Christians really start having heart palpitations. You know, no, um, no, we're trying to understand what Paul's saying. So, uh, Sarah, I, I agree. We are all trying to understand what Paul's saying. But what I'm saying, the way we're talking about it highlights the fact that after 2000 years, we still haven't figured this stuff out. Um, if I may, I would really like to affirm and bless Yvonne's phraseology of rectification. And we would do well to adjust our understanding of this word righteousness and justification. Justification makes it automatically a law room phrase, which it is not in the New Testament. We would do better to adopt its more general meaning of to put things right, rightness, fixing things, putting ourselves right with God and vindicating God and vindicating ourselves ultimately through faith in Christ. It's not a legal issue. God is not dealing with a law room. He's dealing with putting human beings right, putting right. the creation right. right. But then, so Jesus said, you have to be born again, for example. So these guys are born again. Like he's saying that to Nicodemus, who's a Jewish leader in his culture. Yes. Yeah. So it's not just, you well, have to be born right. again to enter the kingdom of God. So there is a, whatever you want to call it, it's, it's quote unquote, a legal transaction in the sense of God's righteousness has to be justified either by Christ or yourself. And if you can't do it by the law, then I guess he has to do it, right? Well, had okay, so Sharon, based on that, how did all those guys in Nineveh repent? They said sorry to God. They had they didn't have the Holy Spirit. 
They didn't have a sacrifice. No, but they said sorry to God, so they must have been enabled by God's spirit to say sorry to God, because otherwise we're just That's dead not what the text says. The text so, I don't know, but we're dealing with the New Testament. God looked down and he saw their deeds. Well, who knows? But we're dealing with Galatians in the New Testament. And it's clear. You've had a good turn again. Now off no, to I'm not trying to hold the conversation. I'm trying to understand it. Never. Your hands up. Anything to say, Vita? You had your hand up? There's two things. I actually agree with what Yvonne said because the law is written in our hearts now. It's a way of instead of a legalist where I will do this, there's a heart I will do this. And they're the same laws that God created. But there is an, ash, an issue which I would like to bring up. Let's, this is about a part of the law which I do believe is done away with. Let's say the Jewish people managed to get a temple built in Israel. And let's say the Jewish people start doing sacrifices. Do the Christians now need to do those same sacrifices for forgiveness of sin? Do they no, need to do no, that? No, so no, no, because Rome, because Hebrews 10 says no. It's, it's contradictory right. to the word of God. So there is a part of law that actually is done away with by Christ. Right. Yeah. And, exactly. and i got to tell you, Vida, modern Orthodox rabbinic Judaism would also have a problem with the temple. Yeah, for sure. It's an antichrist setting it up. It's not a Christian setting uh, up well, in Revelation. But no. what, what Samson was talking about, it was the antichrist, right? I, I did talk about the antichrist, and I talked about the antichrist in respect to stopping the sacrifice. That is the antichrist that is going to stop the sacrifice in the temple, not Yeshua. His coming did not stop the sacrifice. What is coming did was to fulfill what the sacrifice was about. Amen. And that is why we don't need to sacrifice. If the temple comes in today, we are not going to sacrifice. But from what um, Daniel was seeing, which we all believe is true, the sacrifice is still to God. The sacrifice will still be to God. Yeah. And we, we, we have to accept it. We might not be happy with it. Because we we are we already living in um, with the understanding that we don't need the sacrifices anymore. But what the sacrifices we're speaking about, we're speaking about what Yeshua was coming to do. Even from the time of Abraham, um, the Olah was pointing to Yeshua. That's why it was said to Abraham, "On this mountain it will be seen," and on that mountain it was seen. Yeshua was the one that was seen, but yet it did not stop the sacrifice. But you see, but then you have a problem with Hebrews 7, right? So what do you do with Hebrews 7, you know, talking about with respect to Christ, for such a high priest was fitting for us who is holy, harmless, undefiled, separate from sinners, and has become higher than the heavens, who does not need daily as those high priests to offer up sacrifices for his own sins and then for the people's, for he did this once for all when he offered yeah, up himself. The law appoints uh, as high priests men who have weakness, yeah, but the yeah. word of the oath which comes from the appoints the son who has been perfected forever. We so isn't the job done? We all agree with you, Sharon. That's not what we're talking about. Well, okay, guys, I need to bring it back. I mean, I have really enjoyed the discussion. And why have I enjoyed the discussion? Because it highlights, can you see, the passion that brings up once you get Gentiles. Okay, we're not even just talking about imagine. Imagine throwing in the room, you know, getting good yeshiva students all sitting around studying the Bible and throwing, come on, guys, do you have to obey the Torah or not? And the, the, the noise that would come out. Okay. But and Gentiles go too. It's incredible. 
and I think it's fine. But let's let's have a look at the issue. The issue at stake in Galatians is we have a community that has been fellowshipping together. It's been quite good, okay? Jews and Gentiles together. There's been some, something's happened and there's been a break. And Paul has gotten incredibly angry. And the break has even occurred amongst apostles. Okay, not just nameless people, but pillars, okay? Guys who were there at the beginning. And, uh, and he says, uh, this is Paul, we're, you know, we're Jews. Okay, they haven't become un-Jews. That's a good point to, to, just to point out to start. Okay? They've been believing the Messiah for quite some time now. And they still consider themselves Jews. Okay, and we're not Gentiles. We haven't turned into something else. But we know, we know, right? We know that a person is not justified by the works of the law. Now, um, Ariya gave us a very good description of where that word in Greek appeared from, okay? The word nomos, appearing hundreds of years before Jesus in, in, in Athens, this creation of this word and how it was taken by uh, the Jewish people in, who write translating the Septuagint, and it has is the word that is used in the New Testament, but it's used in a variety of different ways. Okay? Sometimes it means a general word Torah, and sometimes it means the Chokim, uh, the actual laws. Okay, the other word, the 613. Sometimes it means other bits. What do you think it now means by the phrase the works of the law? Because he doesn't just say, a person is not justified by Torah. A person is not justified by? Keeping the rules. There you go. And which rules? Okay. Whatever yeah. written rules you happen to have in front of you. Yeah, because, and it, because it changes. You've got this, until, until the Dead Sea Scrolls, it was assumed that this phrase, works of the law, uh, only appeared here. Okay, it's like, well, this, this is an invention of Paul. But then we found the Dead Sea Scrolls. And in the Dead Sea Scrolls, you actually have uh, what's called 4QMMT. You can Google it, look it online. You can look at the, the papers that are all written about it. And here you have a Jewish community, the, the Qumran community, uh, disgruntled priests who have fled the temple after the, the problems there. And they have a scroll dedicated to the works of the law, the Ma'asei Torah, and, they, and, it, and it describes rules that engage in separation. These rules decide who's in and who's out of your community. And what Paul is saying, the rules don't decide who's in and who's out. The Messiah decides who's in and who's out. And, he even, and, and we already knew that. It's not that, uh, and so, um, and, and, and I'd like, uh, if, if Arya is willing, because he mentioned that before, is it okay if you tell us the Greek word justification, uh, some of the nuances that go around that word? Is that okay, Arya? Sure. The verb is dikaioo. It has a number of cognates. What's being translated here is righteousness, is dikaiosune, and a righteous act or an act of making something right is the dikaioma. It work uh, an act of vindication is dikaiosis. But at the at the root of it, it's exactly parallel to the Hebrew tzadak, tzadik dalik kuf. And we have the same range of meanings from the Hebrew, perfectly paralleled in Greek. The basic uh, uh, thought of it is right, 
rightness, staka, rightness, tzedek, usually justice, a tzedek, a man who's right, righteous. And uh, so we have the parallel in Greek. And I, I believe and I found great blessing by taking these words back b- before and be- behind their Protestant uh, legal prejudicial translations, in my opinion, which have all put it all in a court of law, which is a subset of rightness, and take it back to, to putting things right, being right. God always does the right thing by definition. He is always right. If we are in conflict with him, he's right, and we need to adjust accordingly. It's, it's pretty simple, really. It's not a legal issue. It's a matter of being right in God, right with God. Mm-hmm. Can I ask you a question on that justified? Is it then a, a continuous tense justification? So it's not just a one-off process. Is it an ongoing justification? Well, that, that's a matter of the conjugation in context. Anything in present tense in Greek is an ongoing, non-stopped action, continuous so action. If it's in past tense, it could be a done, done deal. So is this continuous tense? Well, which one are you looking at? And I can look in my Greek Bible. I don't know. Verse, what we're verse 17. Nikaiothene is a present infinitive. Yes, it's ongoing, continuous right. action. I agree exactly with what you're saying, Arya that this is getting right with God. This is what it's about, is having it in our heart. God wants us to be right with him. That's what Lord Jesus came, to reconcile us back to God. That, that makes absolute sense. I understand that. But there's also this concept that it's written clearly in, in, the, in the Old Testament where it says that if you do the works of the law, or not the works of the, it doesn't use the works of the law, but if you do the law, you have to do every single law. Right. Well, that's Paul and Romans. That's Paul and Romans, exactly. yes. But it's also in the Old Testament that you, sure. you have to keep every single law. So right. this is, isn't that what this is alluding to? The, right. Because it's impossible. It's absolutely impossible. Right. Yes. And so we have to have Christ. Amen. Yes. Now, I could, I could make the question even sharper, the issue. One of the most interesting passages in the New Testament on this subject is in Matthew 5. It's in the yes. teachings of Jesus. Yeah. Uh, he, he says uh, three interesting things in, in close order, and to sort them all out is quite a challenge. First, he says, I didn't come to cancel the law and prophets. I came to fulfill them. Right. Okay. None of us has too much of a problem with that. I think we would agree. Paul calls the law the shadow of Christ. It's also called that in, uh, in he- Hebrews, I think. But then he says, therefore, whoever teaches uh, to not do one of these commandments shall be called least in the kingdom of heaven. And whoever teaches and preaches them will be great in the kingdom of heaven. That's right. a real challenge for us, especially in this, this context of Galatians. I'm not sure how to solve it personally. It's an interesting, perhaps for another discussion, but since that are, that's not our text tonight. Then he goes on to say, the clincher here, he says, Unless your righteousness exceeds the righteousness of the Pharisees mm-hmm. and the scribes, you, have, you will never see the kingdom of heaven. Mm-hmm. So he's talking about a different kind of getting right, in my, in my opinion. And, and Paul, Paul alludes to the same thing when he writes to the Philippians. He said, according to the righteousness that's in the law, I was blameless, flawless, perfect. But it means yet, nothing. 
But he, he's telling us here in Galatians, it yeah. wasn't enough. I, 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 I would love to have a challenge on Paul on that one and say, so according to the law, you were doing right in Acts by throwing people in prison who were innocent? I'm not 100% sure you're right there. <laughs> so, yeah, you can grandstand yourself all you like to the Philippians, but you haven't got me fooled. <laughs> and Yeah, and he hasn't got God fooled, Aaron, because, yeah. right, that's why Christ came. But can I just say one? One little thing. I I, I know no. you don't want it. it Hebrews, <laughs> please, just one little thing. Hebrews 10, right? So it's talking about Christ. And so it's saying that, you know, every priest stands and offers daily these sacrifices. But this man, after he had offered one sacrifice for sins forever, sat down at the right hand of God from that time waiting for by one offering, he has perfected forever those who are being sanctified. So it's a concept that, you know, previously the sacrifices and offerings, the burnt offerings, the offerings for sins you did not desire nor had pleasure in them like god says but then he said behold i have come to do your will O god so jesus fulfills his god's will you take away the first that you may establish the second that's another way that hebrews 10 says it and verse 10 by that will we have been sanctified through the offering of the body of jesus christ once for all amen no one's disputing that sharon Here's, here's my question and i want you to listen incredibly okay fulfill the command to honor my parents. Do I do it just once? Am I nice to my parents just once? Okay, but you're talking about the practical side of it, right? But aren't we talking about being justified before God and that's why Paul's taking issue with Peter? Sharon, if you want to continue to use the word justified, I would point out that in Romans, Paul says we are reconciled by his death, but we are justified by his life. Yeah. It is not the death of Christ that justified us in this language or made it put us right. It was his resurrection. But just going on to that and, and what you're saying, Aria, I, in a sense, I understand what Sharon's saying, because in a sense, we are now in Christ, in the body of Christ. Especially if you go to verse 20, I'm crucified with Christ. It's no longer I that look. So his justification, his righteousness, his perfectness before the Father is imputed to us. We By the stand, Spirit, yes. Exactly. So we stand here perfect in Christ before the Father, not by anything I do through the law, not by anything I, I, I could, um, if I do the best deed, Paul says it's like dirty rags. Right. It's Man. nothing. No, yeah, no, you're absolutely, you're absolutely correct. Agree. But no. because but my heart. Because Jesus died no. for me, can I now speed? No, but because my heart is now with Christ, I love God and I yes. want to do everything to please God. That's his, put his law in my heart. Where before I didn't care. Now, in the minute I do something which the Holy Spirit tells me I've offended the Father, I grieve and I repent because God has placed that law in my heart. It's not by anything I do. I am vile. I do the most terrible things. But the Spirit of God in me is making me holy because Christ is holy. It was yeah. always um, meant to be a relationship of love, and it was always meant to be on your heart, and it was always meant to be that close and personal. And, and all of us, including Jews and Gentiles, have a tendency to go back into a form of legalism, which, is, which, is, which, is not what, which actually is not what's being discussed here. What's being discussed here is acting is putting laws down and making them separate something that the resurrection of the messiah had actually completed and put together and paul was very angry with that 
I, I guess this will be very interesting for Sharon. Uh, if we look at Acts 21, we saw Paul gathering some men and they went to um, do some, um, um, brought Paul to some men and they purified themselves along with them and they entered into the temple to notice um, of the date when their purification will have been completed. They were doing the, the Nazil, they were doing the sacrifice of the Nazil. This is Paul understanding that Yeshua has come to die and his, um, and his death is already taking away our sins, but he's still participating in this, not because he doesn't have the understanding of what the death of Yeshua has done, but it's a part of the ritual that is, that is necessitated for that time for him to participate in the temple sacrifice. And so once the temple is up, like I said before, because that's the same thing that Sharon continued to hammer on, is that we will continue with the sacrifices, but it doesn't negate what Yeshua has done. In fact, it's coming to emphasize what Yeshua has done. And that's why he says that Yeshua came to do it once and for all. Everything points to Yeshua. If you understand the Moadims, they are pointing to Yeshua. From the time of Abraham, everything always points to Yeshua. So if it's done later, it's not going coming to negate. It's just coming to show that indeed what the Torah was speaking about is Yeshua. And um, we shouldn't have a problem with that. Another thing that, um, from my understanding, the, the, the basic fundamental block is to believe. Abraham believed and it was counted to him as righteousness. But it's interesting because at, in the end of Deuteronomy, Moses, he, he's not presenting righteousness through the law. Of course, it's a key to blessing and their enjoyment and the fulfillment. And if we love God, we're going to obey his law. But, um, you know, it's interesting because, again, Adam didn't, he, 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 he lost it. He, he didn't ultimately, he was banned. He was exiled. And Israel at the end of the Torah and then in the end of um, Tanakh, they, um, they're, they're, they're exiled from, from eventually the promise to come back. But what, what uh, Moses, and, and same thing with Galatians, is I want to give you the righteousness that I gave to Abraham. Abraham had the righteousness, of course, and we know that he believed and he followed the, the uh, well, I'm reading in Genesis, but it's the righteousness that he gave because he believed. And, and, and Abraham, in, in Genesis, um, Genesis 26, because Abraham obeyed my voice and kept my commandments, statutes, and my laws, but he believed and he, it was counted, it was attributed to him righteousness. And it was through his belief and then the love to fulfill the commandments and the law and, and, and the hoping and, and the mitzvot and all of that. But it's the belief. And I wanted to end with uh, my, this, this commentary that it is. My, my comments on which I love it's uh it, this is the heart of God from the get-go it is 19.9 and I want to read that so at Mount Sinai Moses and the elders um behold and the Lord said to Moses behold I'm coming to you in a thick cloud and that the people may hear when I speak with you and may also believe you forever it's about faith in God the Father, the rectification through the Son, but it's our belief in the Father, the Son, that's going to, to, to justify, because they, they never were justified by the law. Adam lost it, then Israel lost it, um, but it's their belief 
Yeah. And he says that you would believe me forever. They would hear the words of the Torah and believe forever. So it's always a, it's always a heart issue. It's loving the Lord and following his, his laws with your heart. Paul, Paul is, is, is reflecting a truth that's in the prayer book. Psalm 143 verse 2 says no one is righteous before you. So if no one's righteous before God, why bother doing this for in the first place? Why even try? Because people are they're already, as, as Arias said at the start, there were those that thought of the Lord just as a series of rules, and there were those that thought, thought in a, a lot more larger way that was actually something that would be, could be written on your hearts and even followed even before it was given, for example, Gen Abraham in Genesis 26, where God says to Isaac, your father kept my Torah. Well, how could he do that? It hadn't been written yet. Well, it had, but it was on his heart. And so Paul knows this. There, is, there are Jewish people who, who know this even to this day. Okay? There, are, there, are, there are rabbis who, will be, who are very honest who will say, look, we know it's, a, it's about being written on your heart. Okay? The well, challenge that Paul is having with Peter is your action is showing the complete opposite. It is teaching these Gentiles that everything that we've been telling them is, is null and void. And, uh, and, and it's, a, it's not the gospel. It is certainly not the truth of the gospel. He used that phrase uh, last week. He takes Peter to task. And um, he says, we have been, uh, been justified in our faith in the Messiah. And so both Jews and Gentiles who believe in the Messiah share exactly the same justification and not by works of the law. Because by the works of the law, no one is, is justified. That doesn't mean that the law was bad. What we're talking about is working to, towards your justification. doesn't mean that the law was bad. Okay? That, that's, that's the problem. If, if you start to think, okay, no one can be justified, therefore the law is bad, that's an issue. Because Paul himself is going to say in Romans, no, the law is good. It's holy. It's from God. It has to be by its very definition. Um, Peter, Peter said this, that about Paul, his, um, his um, teaching or his letters are difficult to understand. Sometimes it's as if he's speaking for the law, sometimes it's as if he's speaking until the law, but you need to balance this to have a very good understanding. If you go to Romans 8, um, it says that um, in Romans 8, very interesting. If we look at it, let me just jump there quickly. It says, that, therefore, there is no condemnation to those who are in the Mashiach, Yeshua, for the law of the spirit of life in the Mashiach, Yeshua has set us free from the law of sin and death. But what is, was impossible for the Torah, since it was weakened in the account of the flesh, God has done, sending his own son in likeness of the sinful flesh as in sin offering. He, he condemned sin to the flesh so that the requirement of the Torah might be fulfilled in us who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the rock. When you see texts like this, you begin, a lot of people usually quote it wrongly. They say, Christ has set us free from the law. And they stop there. I said, no, um, Christ has set us free from the law of sin and death. Because here we talked about two laws. There is law of spirit of life in Christ Jesus and the law of sin and death. And um, uh, Paul made that very um, explicit. And when you look at it, it also, um, Paul also brings out a very important fact there. It says that for what the law or what the Torah could not do since it was weakened 
uh, it wasn't wicked in the Torah, but in account of the flesh. Because we are in the flesh, the Torah could not um, be expressed fully in us. And so is um, Adonai sent the son, Yeshua, to come and die as, um, for our sin, and thereby fulfilling the Torah. So the whole idea is for us to fulfill the Torah. We don't have the power to do it. Um, we are described as modern conqueror, not because we are the one that went to the cross and we are the one that defeated Satan, but we are called modern conqueror because we claim the victory without having to do the work. Yeshua has already done the work for us. All we do is to claim the victory. And so we are called modern conqueror. So I, I believe this um, text should give us a better understanding of this law and how the law should be kept. Okay. Trying to put it all together of this discussion, which I have to say has gone all over the map. We who are Jews by birth and not Gentile sinners, we know that a person is not justified, right, made right by the works of the law, not the Torah, the works of the law, the thing that's separating and creating boundaries within Jews and Gentiles, who's in and who's out, who's part of our community, those who are obeying the law, you know, our little def definition of the law. Well, that's not what Paul says is good because by faith, we've got the Messiah, they've got the Messiah, our community is now one. Our community can have table fellowship. Our community can now share the same spirit. Our community can now work and live together and practice together. Our community can gather food for the poor together. Our community can, can, can raise money and send it to Jerusalem. Our community can build a well here in our local, local village. All these kind of things put together. It is our faith that we may be justified by, by faith in, in the Messiah and not by works of the law. Okay, they knew that already. The deeds, the, the trying to trying to, to put deeds doesn't justify anything. Paul, when he goes into Acts, does not mention sacrifices once. Not once. What he does is he says, I'm going to prove to you who the Messiah is. Let me pull a scripture out. I'm going to show you not only that, he's resurrected from the dead. The resurrection is going to change your life because the works of the Lord, no one will be justified. No one will be made right. The, and it's that little thing, not the Torah, the works of the Torah. There is a difference. But in seeking to be justified, we Jews find ourselves also among the sinners because everybody is a sinner. Doesn't that mean that Christ promotes sin? Well, of course not. Right? Just because we're all sinning doesn't mean that because we serve the Messiah, he's advocating that we do that. No, we should stop sinning. Okay? And, uh, and so if I rebuild what I destroy, then I would be a lawbreaker. And he doesn't want to bring back that wall of separation which he's going to talk about in, I think, Ephesians. You know, we're going to break down that wall of separation that separates us from the Gentiles. Where God is going to have his one new man. God is going to have his community. He is going to be revealed to the Gentiles. That is going to happen. And if I keep trying to make the, the boundaries back, if I keep trying to put together these works of the law that we create, I can't eat with you because you don't, you don't have kosher, or I can't have table fellowship because if I touch you, I become uh, unclean then that's, uh, that, is, that is against the spirit of the law, the teachings of the Messiah, the other part of the nomos. 
Andrew had a good comment there too, Aaron, that he was throwing in there. In the chat? Oh, okay, I'll read it for you. Scripture reflects a series of covenants which God establishes with the creation of his image. The covenants are forever and ever and ever. So the new or renewed covenant does not replace the preceding covenants, but adds or fulfills prior covenants should we look in the law in this light. Well, yeah, that's not a bad idea. Also remember that in the, as reflected before in Jeremiah, I shall write the Torah on their hearts. It doesn't go away. It's just put on the hearts exactly where Moses in Deuteronomy told us it would be. But he also said in, in Jeremiah, I will make a new covenant. And the new covenant is not like the other one. Okay? This new covenant is very special. Okay? This new covenant uh, is, 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 is with the house of Israel, so it starts with the, with the Jewish people. Okay, so um, verse 19. For through the law I died to the law so that I might live for God. Well, that's nice and cryptic, Paul. Unpack that one. Um, any ideas on what he's trying to say there? For through the law I died to the law so that I might live for the Messiah. Simpson explained it where it says the law is of sin and death, and yet okay. through the Spirit we have life and faith. So. The, the physicality of trying to do the law bring, will bring about death because we can't do it in itself. That's true, actually, because Galatians goes on to say that, that if you're trying to work, you're not yep. going to be just. You know. Yep. I have been crucified with the Messiah. So we have joined in the death. But we join in also the resurrection. So I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. So that doesn't mean that um, Paul physically stopped, stopped being alive because he was alive. But in a very spiritual way, he is sharing in the resurrection life of the Messiah. The life I live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself to me. This is one of the principles that, that we find in, in the Gospels, that God so loved the world that he sent his Son. And there's a lot of giving that goes on from God's side of the table. So I do not set aside the grace of God. Or if righteousness could be gained through the law, then the Messiah died for nothing. And so in Paul's opposition to Peter, he is attempting to bring Peter back to the table where he was before. Peter already knows everything that Paul has said. This isn't brand new news to Peter. It might be brand new news to the guys from Jerusalem. Okay? They might be struggling with this. They might be still stuck in there. Well, you know, those Gentiles, they might be able to believe in God, maybe, but uh, they, can, they need to stay over there on that side of the fence. They can't come in here. And um, Paul is saying, well, then you've completely misunderstood what the whole purpose of the Torah was in the first place. You've completely under mis misunderstood God's love for the universe in the first place. And you've completely misunderstood how powerful the resurrection of the Messiah is. That, uh, that he can bring down um, these, uh, these boundaries that, that once separate us. And so righteousness does not come through the Torah. So we know of people in the, in the Hebrew Bible who were righteous prior to the Torah. So you named a few already. Abraham, because he had faith, right? Although the word isn't there, he believed. Okay, different word. Who else was righteous? So Job no, was right. Noah, yep, there's a few. And in Ezekiel, they even put in Daniel, even though Daniel is an interesting character because Daniel is in captivity 
He has absolutely no access to the temple. He can't make any sacrifice, whatever, and yet he can still pray and serve pagan kings faithfully and demonstrate what righteousness looks like without having access to a temple. All right. So any other uh, comments about um, Paul's uh, discussion? If you were Peter, do you think you would be convinced by this? Let's play devil's advocate. Yes. <laughs> Good idea. Okay. Maybe. Yeah. What about Barnabas? Do you think Barnabas was uh, convinced by this argument too? I think they all would have to be because at the end of the day, if they've lost, they've lost the point about Christ. And when the focus of anything you're doing is, and Christ is not the center and the, the head and the, everything you're going through, you, you're going to fall away. You're going to do wrong things. And so that's what's happened. They started going back to doing something because they forgot that they had this unity, this, this everything through Christ. We know from Peter's letter that he agreed in the end, and he laid out perhaps one of the most beautiful expositions of the cross of Christ that we have in the New Testament. Yeah. We, we can be pretty sure that James was reading his Galatians as well when he says things like, or we know that a man is justified by works, not by faith alone. Yeah. <laughs> and James goes on to say as well, for the spirit that he has given us is uh, zealous. And he's, uh, he's reflecting Paul's argument in uh, Galatians here. Yeah, the only place that James mentions the spirit. Galatians. First of all, it doesn't tell us when this incident in Antioch occurred. And it doesn't give us the result. Like Paul doesn't say, okay, so now, Galatians, after I challenged and rebuked Peter, look what happened. You don't get any of that. We do get some reflections from Peter in his epistles a little bit later. But the issue is, why is Paul bringing this incident up? Because he's trying to deal with an issue that's in the Galatian community. And he says, okay, I'm gonna, I've got a little, little, um, little story that I can tell you. Because these men come from James. Do you think they were convinced, these men from Jerusalem? Yeah, no idea. No way. <laughs> okay. We have absolutely no idea. The, uh, Paul doesn't allude to that. What he's doing is he's, he's using this incident as, as, a, as an example, as a witness for uh, the issue that he's got in the Galatians. The issue that he's got in the Galatians is the uh, one of identity and boundary issues that are affecting them, that people are telling them, you are not, your identity in the Messiah is not complete until you become Jewish. And, uh, and, and Paul is saying, well, it's definitely not, not the case. Not at all. And let me tell you a story about food where Peter and I had a little tiff in public, I made it very public. Now the Galatians probably, maybe they had a, had heard of it. Antioch's not too far away, so we don't know uh, how it all how it all worked out. Right, and his focus is the gospel too, right? Making sure that they don't misunderstand the gospel in the process, right? Right. The um, the truth of the gospel, right? which is where we we discussed that last week. All right. So next week we have a discussion on faith and works, okay? And uh, I can tell uh, that that is also going to be a nice, fiery one. Excellent.
Thank you for listening. Our sermons and Bible studies are on all your favorite podcasting platforms. Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and more. Sermons can also be found on YouTube. Follow us on Facebook for alerts on live streams. If you are blessed by these teachings, please prayerfully consider giving toward the work of Christchurch. Visit ChristchurchJerusalem.org Blessings from the City of the Great King